I'm Bianca Vivion, and this is Ask Viv. Welcome to episode two. You know, I thought for the last week or so what this episode was going to be on because there's been so many things running through my mind, and it's really hard at times to make subjects out of the things that mar your minds or trying to create themes because we don't live performatively. I've just been in the thick of it and there's no pictures, timeline, or story that I can tell myself or others about what I've really been going through. And so I've had to really think quite thoroughly about this time in my life and what it is and what's happening to me. And, you know, I could call it growing pains. At times it's just felt like depression. You know, what's funny is that when I was an adolescent, and I was 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, and I was growing up into the woman that I thought I would become, I thought that was growing pains. I associated trauma and sexual violence and poverty and these things as growing pains. I thought that's what growing pains were, was when life just straight up kind of kicks your ass and I thought that's growing pains but that's just plain old ordinary pain and there are people that go through that same pain at 40 and 50 and 60 years old and the more I open my eyes and I walk through the streets and I open my eyes to the real world I realize that some people life is nothing but pain It's just one thing after another and it doesn't quit. And if it's not money, then it's health. And if it's not health, then it's environment. And if it's not environment, it's just the discouragement of society. And so what I was going through from 14 to 17 that I thought was growing pains, it was just plain old pain. But I would say that what I've witnessed of myself in the last year I mean true, true agony of trying to understand who I am as a unique and independent person, who I am, what I am, whose I am, where I am, trying to really pinpoint these things in a calculated and decisive way so that I can go out into the world and say definitively, I know who I am no questions asked, and the strength and power that comes along with that, that's growing pains. It feels like a second adolescence in the sense that I'm having to take on a new value system and I have to relearn or learn for the first time what it means to be healthy and what it means to be sane if I ever knew, what it means to be responsible with money, what it means to be dependent on others, what it means to love. I'm learning these things really for the very first time because when we go through the ordinary pain of just growing up and we take on the values of our parents, we really just learn how to be our parents, a product of our environment, and it's extremely, extremely difficult 
to extract yourself from that and for destiny to intervene and impose on you a value system, a character system that's not a product of your culture or your religion or your socioeconomic status or your race, but is purely a product of what you are supposed to do in the world as an individual person. And you're constantly fighting all of these expectations and costumes and burdens and discouragement from the places, the many different places that you come from and growing into yourself is the most painful. Growing into myself has been the most painful thing that I've ever experienced, ever, bar none. I had no clue how hard, how lonely, how frustrating it was going to be when I said, I want to know who I am. And part of why it is so, so difficult to experience growing pains, and this is really, really something that the profundity of it, it leaves me ineloquent. I don't know if I was living before this point in my life. I look at photos of myself as a child and Halloween costumes and family gatherings and I see myself in front of birthday cakes and with graduation caps on and I realize I was going through the motions for such a long time. I don't know if I was really alive, but you reach this point, I've reached this point maybe seven months ago where I got this awareness of who I might be and I begun to chase after the question of who I was spiritually and physically and mentally really, really chase after the idea of who I might be really. And all of a sudden I was living. And the only way that I can describe this, as I said, I don't know if I can be eloquent about it. And this is how most people, most of you, most of us live our lives is we begin with this fullness and wonder and joy of childhood. We feel so intensely towards everything when you're a child. You react to your environment so acutely. You laugh and you cry and you dance and you scream. And if something scares you, then you're terrified, you're petrified. And if something brings you joy, you're elated, you're enlightened. Everything you feel, you feel deeply. And it's almost as if you live in this house of yourself that's so full, a small little house that has draping and ornament and stairs and a basement and an attic, a subconscious, a heart, expectation and dreams. And it's almost as if as you go through the ordinary pain of life, which obviously is also impacted by race and class and everything else, it's almost as if people come into that house and rob you (laughs) they take the couch and they rip up the drapes and they graffiti the walls and they steal from the fridge and they desecrate the bathroom and by the time that you're 18 for some of us that was the age for me you feel this sense of emptiness that robs you of the depth of your emotional self and your spiritual self. What some people call growing pains, it's depression because it's literally the death of expectation. 
so that you don't feel too strongly about anything or anyone. And if somebody comes into your life, you expect that they're going to leave or you cling to them, not out of a deep felt love, but just out of fear. You go to work and you don't really pay attention to the work that you're doing. You go to school, you sit in class, you scroll through the internet, you go to the grocery store, you pick up the same foods that you've always bought, you go to the same restaurants you've always eaten at, you go to church maybe, you go to the mosque, you pray, you listen to the pastor. Some of you, some of us, even lay in bed and let people insert themselves inside of you or insert yourself inside of people passively. No sense of pleasure, no sense of purpose, no sense of passion, just because it's something to do. And it's not just out of a biological instinct, but just out of a passivity that begins with only feeling the absence of everything that has been taken from you and you're going through the motions and you don't know where it all went and you're not even living anymore really i mean literally 25 26 years old 30 years old in the prime of your life at a lot of us the physical peak of our health and our beauty and you're just going through the motions. And it's not even just about being broke, which you'll be broke. And it's not about just being insecure in your job and your livelihood and, and not having dreams or feeling like they won't come true. It's literally not feeling anything deeply at all because you feel like you've been emptied of everything that makes you human and everything that allows for the possibility of depth and desire and passion and pleasure feels gone. And you settle for temporary fixes and highs, whether that be literal highs or material highs, whatever the case may be, because you no longer have any gauge of what it means to be living a life. And that's just pain. That's just pain. But what I'm talking about, what I've gone through in this last six months was all of a sudden having this sort of spiritual, bodily, emotional, mental awakening in which I was intervened upon in which destiny was literally intervening, God was intervening in my life and showing me a glimpse of who I was. And all of a sudden I became so curious about her and so hopeful for her. And it was like going through a second adolescence of going through pain that might have meaning and even might make meaning out of all of the theft of joy and theft of personhood and theft of my body that had happened when I was younger. It means that I can't go through the motions anymore. And it's painful because it's so damn time consuming. When you're living a life that is completely passive, days and months and years go by. I don't even remember high school. I really feel like I woke up one day and it was over. I don't remember how I spent my days. I sometimes question if it ever happened, but I can tell you every single thing and every day down to a T that's happened to me since mid-September of last year, because every single day I'm looking for a new revelation about myself. Every single day I'm recalling experiences, pivotal experiences that I wrote off 
of my childhood, of thinking about that theft of joy, thinking about when people emptied out my house and all of a sudden I'm fashioning a person out of this thing inside me that I thought had died. And it's painful. And I just know I'm not the only person going through this because so many of you write to me and you tell me, I don't know why, but all of a sudden, I can't be with the people that I used to be with. All of a sudden, I can't chill. All of a sudden, you have this desire to change. And it's not because of your parents. And it's not because of an expectation from a job. And it's not even for a lover. You just have this voice inside of your head that says to yourself, I don't think that this is it for me. I might not know who I am. And it's pain because the question, once you get it, that inkling, that feeling in the back of your head that you might be more than you thought you were, does not merit an answer. Instead, it merits this journey that presents more questions and it begins, you begin to question the things that you believe and the things that you were raised to believe. You begin to question your education. You begin to question your name. I said, who is Bianca really? Who is she, honestly? What do people love when they love her? Do I love myself really? And it's such a different question than even the first 22 episodes I did when I would say, you know, what does it mean to love? I mean, what does it mean to love, comma, really, question mark? What does it mean to live well, really? I've become desperate for the truth of who I am. And it makes you manic because you can't sit still and I can't brunch. I have got to know what's going on inside of me at any given moment. And when I feel pain, I wanna know the source of it. And when I feel offended, I wanna know the source of it. I can't drink it away. I can't sex it away. I can't smoke it away. I can't shop it away. I have to sit there every single day with the questions of who I am. It cannot wait. And every single thing had to go. And it wasn't about like or dislike. It was about an absolute necessity of answering the question of who I am because I could not live in that empty house anymore. I suppose I say this all to say... If you're in that journey, wherever you are in that journey, I know that it is growing pain. And it's the kind of pain that when the question becomes so intense that it feels as if there truly is no answer, it is enough to wish life away. And I'm being serious with words now. It's enough to not want to live anymore because you can't go back to who you were before and you're trapped in this darkness of not knowing who you're going to become and you're having to sit with a question and you don't know how to love anybody at the time because you're a question and I suppose I just wish you love because it's pain it's gonna be painful and I think that I've never addressed the pain 
there would be episodes where so many times I would say, if you don't address your codependency, you're going to have a hard time. If you don't address your issues with your mother, you're going to have a hard time. If you're going to have a hard time, you're going to have a hard time. I've said it a thousand times. Guess what? If you do, if you do address these things, you're going to have a hard time. And I think that that demands recognition in a way that I had never given it before. That if you decide to answer the question of who you are, if you make a decision that the things that happen to you are dead and gone and that they cannot be changed, but by becoming who you are, you might be able to change the effects that they have on you, thus changing the effects that they might have on other people. It is hard. It is difficult. It's fucked up. It's painful because all of that robbery and the theft of joy and the discouragement and the violation and the agony that you've endured, most of the people that caused it are somewhere walking around the world with no idea that they did it and no intention of apologizing. So when you choose to embark on this journey of answering the question of why certain things happen to you and why you've had to endure a certain kind of life and you're trying to pull yourself out of the effects of those people's actions, you're simultaneously dealing with the pain of you have no clue what their motivations or intentions were because you're just dealing with the collateral damage of everything bad that's ever happened to you. And you're dealing with it every day because if you're embarking on the kind of journey that I'm talking about, there is no possible way that you were just sitting and smoking it away and like trying to forget about it. I mean, you were going through every single, what in the South we used to call the nitty gritty, like you're getting down to the nitty gritty of who you are. It hurts like hell. It hurts like hell. Growing pains hurt like hell. They hurt like hell. I don't know if anybody acknowledges that kind of pain. We spend so much time in this culture discussing trauma, the agony of things that have happened to us, but nobody talks about the agony of healing and the pain of addressing those things, of saying these things happened to me. Nobody addresses the intervention when one day you wake up out of the coma that you've been in since 18, 19 years old. I remember the first time that I got naked, I mean really naked, and I stood in front of a mirror and I was really like, this is my body. Didn't know it. And you start to understand, I have a nose, I have a mouth, I have tops of my ears, I have a stomach. It hurts like hell. It hurts like hell. It is so deeply transformative. And in a lot of ways, in many ways, most ways, it's the most rewarding work you're ever going to do because it makes us worthy to be parents and it makes us worthy to be teachers and lovers. It makes us worthy of love because we come into love with the full knowledge of who we are and we come into love with the full knowledge of what we have to offer in the way of wisdom in the way of courage, in the way of strength. I mean, I I know now what I bring when I enter into a room and I don't know if I ever knew before. I don't know if I knew I was me. Realizing the possibility of myself has only been possible by facing the pain of growing up. Don't quit, hold tight to the promise of 
answering the question of who you are. Because I can also say there's nothing like being able to say, I know who I am. I know the truth. I know the truth. I was waiting so long for somebody, anybody to come into my life and tell me the truth of what had happened to me. And I thought it was going to be a man because I knew it couldn't be my parents. And I thought at one point it'd be an employer or a fandom that something would come in and tell me the truth of who I am and tell me the truth of why so many bad things happen. And then all of a sudden, this voice, this feeling, the spirit intervened. And it was the first time I felt like I had some grip on the truth. And that voice told me that sometimes good things happen to bad people and sometimes bad things happen to good people and that some people are not going to get rich in this lifetime because it's not in the plans and that there will be sickness and there will be unexpected death and there are children that will go unprotected and there will be violence enacted upon people who do not deserve it and the people who are meant to protect them will look away we will work and sometimes we will not be rewarded and we will create and sometimes we will not be credited and we will love and sometimes it will not be requited we will fuck and sometimes we will not want it we will expect and sometimes it will not happen we will save and sometimes it will not be enough that's the truth and it was the acknowledgement of all those truths all at once sometimes some days all at once that broke my heart but I learned the truth too that loving and attempting to love makes me stronger than those who can't and youth is fleeting and it is enjoyable for the choices that it offers and children deserve better than the world that we've provided and we have to work to make it better for them that's the truth the truth is that the future is going to be good. Womanhood and blackness is a gift that I would not trade for all of the terrible things that it brings. The truth is it's getting better. Anything that can go wrong might go wrong. And anything that can go wrong can get better. And that's the truth. And it'll hurt like hell. But then it's over. And there's life to be lived still. And the most important truth is that when I've sifted through the pain of the things that have happened and the harm that's been done, and I revive myself from the death of expectation, I realize I am not a sum of the things that have happened to me. The clearing away of all of the things that I told myself about myself and all of the offense that I thought I would never forgive or let go of. And after I leave that house behind, after I've decided to build somewhere new, stand here and I say, for all the pain, I am what I am. That's a freedom I wish for everybody. That's a freedom I wish for everybody. Now let's get to these questions because I know... That's your favorite part. Dear Viv, I'm 23 and recently graduated. While I thought my years of self-realization would slow down by now, the past year alone has revealed so much about myself that I'm trying to mend, love, and understand. How do I break up with the idea of who I thought I should be and fully embrace the person that I'm becoming? 
most of what you believe when you say, how do I let go of who I thought I was? It wasn't really a self imagination. It takes years for us to relinquish ourselves from the vision that other people have for our lives, for better or for worse. You know, in a lot of rap songs or rags to riches stories, people always say, people always told me I would never amount to anything. And they always talk about how you have to free yourself from that expectation of failure in order to become a success. But for me, it was quite the opposite. I was never the long shot. I mean, I was a 4.0 student, highly successful, witty, beautiful. I was somebody that people bet on every single time. And even that expectation imprisoned me. The vision that other people had of me and my success and what their measure of success was, was something that imprisoned me for a really, really long time until recently. I had been imprisoned to what prestige was. I mean, it took a, it's taking a very long time. I should not even say this in the past tense. It is taking me a very long time to separate and dead the vision that other people had for my life. I know grown women, grown men, who are still imprisoned by the vision that other people have for their life. It's a journey, it's a journey. And it's not so much letting go of an idea that you had for yourself, as much as it's trying to distinguish what actually is the idea you have of yourself and the hopes that you have for yourself and what is just expectation, culture, religion, identity, politics, peer pressure of other people. I did that entire episode on other people because it takes forever to get free of the expectations other people have of you. It takes a really, really long time to not own that, especially when it's good. And we never talk about that. We never talk about how much we like to own false perceptions that are good. When I tell you people, imprisoned me in my own ego because I could not see my deeply flawed self because of the praise and affirmation and validation of other people. I wanted to believe I was that person that they thought I was. If I let a lot of y'all tell it, I'm perfect. I'm perfectly respectful. I'm extremely patient. I'm brilliant beyond measure. I'm extremely beautiful. I'm kind. I'm never selfish. Let other people tell it and I just, I have, no, I have nothing to work on. We live in a cult of celebrity and a cult of fandom and following. Accentuate the positive, diminish, hide the negative. And that was a big, big reason I got off of social media. Because when you live in this world, virtual, fake world of self-promotion, then people to whom you've presented a perfect image of yourself, reflect back onto you all of the things that are so lovely about yourself to the point which you do not have to really decide how you feel about yourself. If I was feeling ugly a certain day for whatever reason, I could take a selfie, get a response, you're so beautiful. And all of a sudden, I would not even be thinking anymore about why I was feeling what I was feeling. I wouldn't even have to really interrogate that or think about that deeply. We always talk about haters and we always talk about people who bet against us, but we never really talk about how crippling it is 
to be imprisoned in a vision that other people have of you that's positive. Like I said, so much of this journey I've taken and growing pains is me trying to figure out the truth about myself. And figuring out the truth about yourself requires solitude. It requires solitude. Solitude. Maybe one or two extremely close confidants that will really tell you if you're onto something or you're just beating yourself up. I can't do thousands of followers. <laughs> I can't, I can't. I stand in front of a mirror in front of myself literally and metaphorically every single day and I ask to know the truth about myself the truth of what I'm feeling about myself the truth of who I want to be I don't want to be perceived as charitable I want to be charitable I don't want to be perceived as kind I want to be kind I don't want to be perceived as brilliant I want to be brilliant do you understand the difference you're never ever as good as people say you are, and you're never as bad as people say you are, but you have to say what you are. You have to say this is who I am, and it requires silencing all of the other shit, and some people never do it. I'll tell you that, some people never do it. I know older people that I see every day in my life who are still beholden to the opinions of others, are still beholden to the opinions of parents who have passed on, still beholden to community perceptions. But, you know, I'm not getting into heaven on the qualifications of who I'm perceived to be. That's something that really religion definitely, definitely taught me is that if I truly believe that God knows my soul and the ins and outs of everything I've ever done, then there's gonna come a day when I cannot hide behind the perception that others have of me. It's not going to get me any credit. <laughs> and when I go to sleep at night, I live with who I actually am. When I shower in the morning, I'm touching what I actually look like, not what I edit and present and dress up and make up. I have to face who I actually am. When I take that aisle and say those vows, I wanna be able to present the reality of who I actually am to the person that I'm trying to love. We've become too accustomed and too comfortable with the irreality of who we are. We've become too comfortable and too accustomed with believing the virtual presentation of our mental and emotional capacity. We have become much too comfortable with settling for the compliments and the things that other people like about us so much so that we don't even know what we like or think about ourselves. And I just want it better. And as soon as you are fed up with the vision that other people have of your life, you will begin to create a value system of what you actually like about yourself and not a day sooner. There's always going to be this duplicitous two version self who I am in other people's eyes and who I am in my own eyes. And they are almost always competing visions. You're always imprisoned by the vision that other people have of you. And that's pain. And getting free, that's painful too. Pick your poison. Pick your poison. Dear Viv, I've just started this new job as a waitress. And as much as I love the job, I feel very uncomfortable. I'm normally a very confident person, but the people there never talk to me. Whenever I add to any group conversation, I get ignored. My manager is very blunt, and I just feel like I do not fit in. 
I often wonder if it is because I'm not as attractive as they are, but I don't know what to do. Let me tell you a story. When I was in college, the people that I had the absolute hardest time with in college, I mean, just could not fit in, could not find meaningful friendship, were upper middle class black people. I mean, we went to blows all the time. They hated me. We were snarky to one another. I mean, sometimes they just came short of all out physical fist fight. I mean, they talked about my hair, class, where I came from, my accent, what I did, what I didn't do. And I was at such a vulnerable state because I thought this is where I find solidarity in this foreign world that I've entered and there was no solidarity to be found. And sometimes there was outright antagonism. And I don't know if I learned anything about the nature of middle-class black people, except for that many of them are deeply insecure, but that's not important. The more I became myself, the less I gave room for the questions of why people did or did not like me. And let me tell you why this is important. Those people, besides just general unpleasantness and maybe not inviting me to parties or whatever, had no effect on my destiny whatsoever, none. And I was at one point beholden to why or they did it or did not like me, but these people had no effect on my destiny. I entered into the quote unquote real world and now I'm up against real hell because now I'm living in the ghetto and I'm walking through streets where a police officer, who knows, maybe he had a fucked up day. Maybe he's secretly a Klansman. We don't know. All of a sudden, I can't in my mind begin to do the mental gymnastics to figure out why this person may or may not hate me. They may hate me because they had an argument with their wife this morning or they may hate me because their grandparents and their great-grandparents and their great-great-grandparents hated me. I have no clue, but I know who I am. And I know if you pull me over, I say run those plates, V-I-V-I-O-N. That name means something. I seen a cop, I was defending this young girl, 14 years old, being brutalized by the police in the station. Cop puts his hand on a gun. I say, you pull that, you better bust it because you're not gonna want me to live to speak because I know who I am. When people hate me, I have no clue why and I don't really concern myself with why. I know who I am because now I'm up against people who can affect my destiny. Do you understand what I mean? Now I'm up against people who have power, who can exert power to change my life. That's when it becomes important to know who you are. That's when it becomes critical. The test that we get in college, in the workplace, in the little social cliques, they're really for a much larger destiny. I mean, just really entertain it as a test. You deal with haters on this small, small level. I used to get anonymous hate mail. I used to get petty little comments. I used to get snarky, you know, whisper under your breath. Okay, but now, you know, I get white supremacist manifestos in my email from New York Times readers. That's what I get now. If I had not gotten the tough skin to understand who I was back then, I would never be able to face what I face now in the face of some shit that really matters. And that's part of it is you need to decide what really matters. But 
more than anything, you have to know who you are. I don't wake up not one day of my life, get dressed and wonder what are other people gonna think about this outfit. I don't go to work or write something thinking what are they gonna perceive this to be. I don't. I know who I am. I know what I'm supposed to do. What I'm supposed to do is tell the truth, protect people that are weaker than me. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to be righteous. I'm supposed to be charitable. I'm supposed to be loving. I'm supposed to be strong. That's who I am. That's what I'm supposed to be. Make sure that nobody stops that task because that task is to the benefit of the people that I love. I'm not constantly taking surveys about what they think about Bianca because I know what I am and by knowing what I am and who I am, I know what I'm supposed to do. It's going to matter more later in a more important context. It's not gonna be about petty team members deciding whether or not to invite you for drinks after the shift is over. It's gonna be something that has an effect on your life and your children's life. The world is gonna ask you who you are one day and if you don't know, the world's gonna tell you. Black people, I'm just honing on in. A lot of Latin people as well. Right now, and this may seem like divergent, right now, one in three black men are in prison. That's one in three black men are in prison. That's 33% of black men are in prison, okay? Just understand that. Meaning you take a room of 99 black men and 33 of them are in the prison system. And it's been that way for the last 30 years. Meaning that when my brother came into the world in 1990 as a black man, there was a one in three chance that at any given moment in his life, he was going to end up in the prison system. Meaning that somebody had a plan for his life already. Somebody had a spot for him in a bunk, in a cage, in a maximum security prison somewhere out in Virginia, Kentucky, California. There was a spot in the chain gang. There was a place in the assembly line. They had a plan for him. The only way to avoid that plan is if he had a plan for himself. I'm being very serious about this. If you don't know who you are and you're waiting for the people that hate you for whatever reason or people that intend to hurt or deceive or abuse or use you to tell you who you are, you have already lost a great deal of not just time in your life, but perhaps something much, much more precious. It is imperative that you learn who you are so that in the face of people that despise you, <laughs> for whatever reason, valid or not. You disempower them by saying, it doesn't matter, I know who I am. Because if you know who you are, you're free. You are a free person. If you have to ask who I am, then you run the risk of somebody assigning you a position in life that is beneath the possibility of who you really are. And this is not philosophical. And this is not a self-help book. I'm talking about life and death, especially for people who are nobody's favorite. 
you're saying you perceive yourself as unattractive. I'm talking about the unattractive. I'm talking about the poor. I'm talking about black people. I'm talking about Latin people. I'm talking about people that this country has written off. I'm talking about LGBTQ people. I'm being very serious. If you're sitting around wondering, who am I? I don't know who I am. I don't know how I look. It's never somebody good that's gonna tell you. It's so very rare that people come into your life and say, you are so special and so lovely and so kind. More often than not, it is gonna be somebody that's going to come into your life and say, you are not worthy of love. You are not worthy of time. You do not deserve a say in your own life. You do not deserve a vote. You do not deserve a position. You do not deserve a voice. It's almost always going to be somebody that inserts themselves to do harm. It is imperative that you know who you are and that you are not asking these questions. Learn who you are so that you can go out and be armed with at least that. If you know who you are, then people cannot place you in the place that they have made for you in the world. And that's metaphorically and that's spiritually. But if you are of the groups that I just mentioned, that is literally, you can't make a place in prison for somebody that's decided that they're not going to go to prison. You can't make a space for a so-called criminal who decides instead he's gonna be a leader. This is the history of our ancestry, of people saying, this is what you are. And people saying, no, I know what I am. That's what makes people free. That's what makes people free. Or you're gonna have a hard ass time. We're seeing the results of generations of people, marginalized people who have not yet figured out who they are, who are looking for somebody to tell them, who are looking for a handout, validation, representation, whatever you wanna call it. There's something powerful about standing up as an individual person and saying, I know exactly who I am. You're not going to sell me the dream and you're not going to take my dreams away. I don't even know if that really answered your question, but it is what it is. <laughs> Listen, that's all the time that we have for today. If you've made it this far in the episode, I so do appreciate it. You know, I told my mother about this the other day. I said, you know, sometimes I feel like I don't know how to do Ask Viv anymore. I don't know if I had cultivated a voice or a sense of expectation. I am what I am. We're on this journey and we're trying to get to the heart of the matter. And I'm coming to you with the best that I know how. I'm always trying to get better. It's hard. It's really hard. And on the days when it gets the hardest, the questions that I have, and the days when I most, most just want to cuddle up against a stranger or get high out my mind or, you know, just straight up end it. I mean, those days that you go through on this journey when there is no remedy but sleeping it off of the growing pains that the day has presented. And yet I find that there's love. Some days I call up my best friend and we laugh and we cry and there's love. Some days I feel like throwing my hands up and just saying, fuck it. And I look at the things that I've done, the heights of success and the accolades, and I look at the things that I've done, the pain that I've caused others, the selfishness. I look at the things that I've done, just straight up humiliating. And I wonder, what was it all for? Why do we endure? Why does it hurt so bad sometimes? And then I speak and I can feel the substance and the weight of the things that I've said, and I can feel them changing me, 
and then I witness them change other people and it gives meaning to a pain that when it occurs feels so deeply meaningless. And I'm not here in any way to aggrandize suffering or to make it seem like everything that I've gone through was necessary because some shit I brought on myself and I can't change the past. But it's at these times when I speak that I realize I'm changing the effects that the pain had. And rather than being the thing that drives me to self-destruction, it's the thing that makes me rise above. And I shock myself. I shock myself because I realized not only did I not know who I was, I didn't know what she was capable of. I had no clue the profundity and depth and passion and willingness to love that that person had. When I speak, I see the possibility of her and it opens up a new world. I see those who listen to her and I see the possibility of them and it makes me want to live. It makes me want to live. I'm growing up and I'm living. I'm Bianca Vivion, and if you ever need anything at all, you can always ask Viv. That's what God is. That's what God is.